It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. Today's topic is a very important topic because it's one that most human beings are going to have to wrestle with or contend with as they practice meditation and as they get deeper into their Kriya Yoga practice. And this particular discussion was prompted by an email I received um, by a teenager, actually. Um, More and more I've been getting emails from uh, younger generations interested in meditation and Kriya Yoga. Um, So that's very heartening to me to see people interested in Kriya Yoga and meditation from a very young age. But this young adult was asking me about um, the right place of sex or sexuality or celibacy when it comes to our spiritual practice. And like many people, when you're young and intense about things, I remember being this way, you usually see things in an either or kind of fashion. And so it's easy to see or read the writings of various spiritual teachers which promote this idea of celibacy. And then also see other teachers who uh, are married, uh, have relationships, have children. It's hard to figure out which way you're supposed to go. And that's primarily because the human mind is kind of weird. It's as if it can't quite see the middle ground of things. And it's always wanting to jump from one extreme to another. And again, in my experience, this seems to be a little more common when you're younger. Um, At least it was for me. So... To talk about this, first, uh, I do want to stress that there is a video I've already done on this on youtube.com slash Online. It's called Sex, Sex and Spirituality. It's part of uh, a series of the beginner course on Kriya Yoga practice. So I'd recommend watching that because that covers just about everything I think about the topic. But I wanted to take some time to speak to it a little bit more because there's also some things that we can find from the writings of Sri Yukteswar that can be helpful. Um, So first, what we need to realize is that sexuality is natural. Yes, we may be spiritual beings having human experience, but we also have bodies which are pretty much an animal. Um, And what do animals do? They follow their instincts. So we have instincts as well. Now, is it wrong that we have instincts? No, because then it would indicate that it's wrong to um, be part of the animal kingdom or it's wrong to uh, honor the the nature of our body or to honor nature itself. But many people, like I said, take this a little too far. Um, why, Why do these things happen? Why do we take them too far? Well, humans are strange. We have an animal body, but we have the capacity to think and to reason and to be aware, um, which is different than many of the other uh, creatures or beings that that we know of on this this earth. So when we've got an animal body and then we have this capacity to reason, to think and to logic, oftentimes what we do is we blow things out of proportion or we take things to an extreme rather than looking at the healthiest way of approaching things. 
the natural way of approaching things. So when it comes to things like sexuality, why, why is celibacy promoted? Well, it's because in the last few thousand years, as we were in the dark age, humanity was in the dark age, we needed these hard and fast rules to say, just don't do it because obviously you can't control it and we don't have the capacity to understand how to um, develop a healthy relationship with it. So then just don't do it. And this has happened in many different areas of life, even food. I mean, think about all the fad diets and all the different diets and all these things. Well, people just don't understand that you just have a natural relationship with food. You don't have to take it to an extreme. But humans, the human mind in, in a certain state wants to do that. It just happens. And then hopefully, as one gets a little more experience, pays attention, uh, they're able to settle a little more fully into... Um, the balanced state or the natural state of being for them when it comes to any desire, food, sex, recreation, um, anything. So the problem isn't sexuality because we actually need sexuality so that our species can be here, so that souls have the capacity to incarnate on this earth, to have the experiences they need to continue their, as Mr. Davis would say, sojourn through the, the infinite. So if we didn't have sex, well, then we wouldn't have people here to, um, we wouldn't have bodies here to be able to um, have the experience that we need. We wouldn't have the, the challenge to harmonize spirit and nature, to harmonize what we consider to be, again, nature or an, an animal type side of things versus um, the capacity to reason, to transcend to be aware of emotions, to be aware of um, spirit, period, to have that um, self-awareness that's spoken of in the Yoga Sutras. So we can often blame the issues of sexuality on the idea of brahmacharya in the Yoga Sutras, one of the yamas and niyamas. And brahmacharya means going like God. And it's said that when you practice brahmacharya, that you have all the energy that you need to accomplish your purposes. And again, this is coming from a spiritual point of view. So the purpose is uh, realization. The purpose is recognizing that you are spirit participating in this life. And that also, as Mahavatar Babaji would say, uh, the realm of spirit, the realm of God, it flows through all levels of existence, even this physical level. So we're, we're aiming to learn this. And there is a right use of our time and of our energy. And there is a wrong use of our time and of our energy. And so brahmacharya doesn't mean you just stop doing everything in an extreme fashion. It means you look at all of your activities to find out, are they contributing are they contributing to your desire, your inspiration to wake up? That soul, that soul, natural soul impulse, that innate urge to, to awaken. And recreation, uh, being creative, enjoying life, that is not counter to it. Because you see, when you are able to appreciate life, when you're able to be creative, that is doing good things for your hormonal system, for your nervous system, for your body, for your mind, and for your spirit. It's giving you, uh, in a way, like the water 
or the the juice or the lubrication so that or the devotion even so that you're able to maintain a positive attitude in life and to continue through life um, with as much strength as you can uh, we know again in uh, i believe it's the bhagavad gita well, I believe they say in the Gita and the Yoga Sutras, that one of the obstacles to awakening is doubt. And what's a great way to doubt everything? Well, it's to not enjoy life, to torture yourself, essentially, with whatever you torture yourself with. And why do you do that? Well, it's because you have some kind of psychological complexes, some conditioning, some something that's happened to you, some kind of weird way that your, your family raised you or that you were taught to believe or the culture influenced you that makes you think you, you actually have to seek out suffering. Believe me, there's going to be enough suffering just by being alive that you don't have to seek it out by torturing yourself. So taking time to be creative, well, that's wonderful because if you're meditating in the morning, meditating at night, if you're um, doing some work that provides the resources for you so that you are secure and as stable as possible, well, you can't meditate all the time. And to think you can is another aberration of that extremist tendency. You can meditate, which allows you to tap touch, feel, experience, recognize uh, the truth of your innate nature as spirit. But then at other times, uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with painting, with gardening, with doing something athletic, with being creative with music or, or cooking or serving others. And again, there's no prescriptive way of, of doing that. It's going to be different for you. Not everyone wants to go out and be or has the energy or the capacity to be an activist of some sort. But they can do other things which support um, the society and the world. And again, the arts are very important because the arts do such wonderful things for the brain and the nervous system that by having a stronger brain and nervous system and by having more balanced hormones and uh, more balanced physiological, emotional, psychological um, makeup, it makes meditation almost effortless. But what's the problem? The problem is uh, extreme attachment to those things or infatuation or addictions to them. And that applies to sexuality too. The problem is not sexuality. The problem is not being creative. The problem is not enjoying the world. The problem is becoming fixated, addicted to those things. There is a proper place and expression for all these things, just like there's a proper place and expression for joy, for anger, for sadness, for fear, for love, for grace. There's, there's a proper expression for all those. The problem comes up when you grab one and you decide you're going to define yourself by it. So I'm going to read something from Sri Yukteswar's book, The Holy Science, where he discusses this idea of um, sexuality. And The Holy Science is worth a read because he also discusses uh, children's development, uh, natural living, how it calms the passions. He talks about food. So let's go ahead and look at what he has to say about sexual desire. And this is coming from the public domain version of the holy science. Sexual desire. 
Something more should be said here about the natural instinct of propagation, which is, next to the instinct of self-preservation, the strongest in the animal body. Sexual desire, like all other desires, has a normal and an abnormal or diseased state. The latter resulting only from the foreign matter accumulated by unnatural living, as mentioned above. In the sexual desire, everyone has a very accurate thermometer to indicate the condition of his health. This desire is forced from its normal state by the irritation of nerves that results from the pressure of foreign matter accumulated in the system, which pressure is exerted on the sexual apparatus and is at first manifested by an increase in sexual desire, followed by a gradual decrease of potency. This sexual desire in its normal state makes man quite free from all disturbing lusts and operates on the organism, only infrequently. Here again, experiment shows that this desire, like all other desires, is always normal in individuals who lead a natural life, as mentioned. And again, the natural life, as mentioned, he's speaking about food that's good for uh, the human being and uh, the best way to live, which really uh, Ayurvedic ideas sum that up for the most part. The root of the tree of life, the sexual organ, the junction of important nerve extremities, particularly of the sympathetic and spinal nerves, which, through their connection with the brain, are capable of enlivening the whole system, is in a sense the root of the tree of life. Man well instructed in the proper use of sex can keep his body and mind in proper health and can live a pleasant life throughout. The practical principles of sexual health are not taught because the public regards the subject as unclean and indecent. Thus blinded, mankind presumes to clothe nature in a veil because she seems to them impure, forgetting that she is always clean and that everything impure and improper lies in man's ideas and not in nature herself. It is clear, therefore, that man, not knowing the truth about the dangers of misuse of the sexual power and being compelled to wrong practices by the nervous irritation resulting from unnatural living, suffers troublesome diseases in life and ultimately becomes the victim of premature death. So he goes on to talk about um, purity of living and so on. But what he's discussing here, these uh, pressures and the idea of unnatural living is really, really simple. Um, eating what Ramana Maharshi would call a sattvic diet contributes to health within the body. Natural foods, fresh foods, foods that are minimally processed. Also, for some people, uh, garlic and onions um, stimulate uh, the reproductive urge. Meat also has that tendency, red meat in particular. And as Sri Yukteswar talks about, what usually happens is there is, there is a, um, a stimulation of those nerves, and over the years, as time goes on, there is an overstimulation, and so there is a little bit too much lust, a little too much sex, a little too much weird thinking about it all. But then what happens? When we start experiencing impotency or um, sexual issues later in life. So by eating well, um, that helps to contribute to um, balance within our sexual nature, our sexual function. Also, the entertainment that we take in. We live in such a sexualized society, at least as of this recording, that 
there's such an emphasis on beauty, on the body, on getting together with people, on hooking up. Well, when you're trained into that culture, it just starts to make you think about it all the time. Uh, also, the way our culture is, is at this point in time with the use of social media and being stuck online and getting these uh, immediate uh, gratifications you know, it used to be that if we wanted to feel good about ourselves and feel accomplished in the world, we'd have to go out and actually do something. You know, go on a bike ride and feel like you've accomplished something. Climb a mountain, read a book, build a house, make some food for your family. You, you actually had to do something. And when you saw it done, there was a boost of dopamine or, or, or a hormonal uh, release that you said, yeah, that was great. And you felt fulfilled. Well, now the way social media is set up, the way the internet just, we're all addicted to it, we get this instant gratification. And so that kind of rolls over into uh, our sexuality for us because sexuality has a profound impact on our well-being. And when we're so addicted to all these different things, well, that also starts to roll over into our sexuality. Sexuality can be a beautiful thing um, between consenting adults that aren't trying to um, lose themselves. You know, they're not using it as an escape. It's a beautiful exchange between human beings. And of course, it can result in the procreation of the species if you want. But the other thing is if we had a greater capacity to relate to each other, to connect with each other in meaningful ways, we wouldn't all be so obsessed with sexuality because sexuality and the sexual act can be a very immediate quick way of depending on who you are of course immediate quick way of getting that sense of oh great we connected versus doing something like actually spending quality time in other ways that that isn't so focused on root chakra things so if we had a more heart-centered culture which is happening slowly, and we can each contribute to it. If we had a more heart-centered culture, which means we were more interested in having meaningful connections with each other, real meaningful connections with each other, well, that desire of love, that desire of fulfillment would be greater on a higher level, which means we wouldn't be seeking it in a more animalistic level. Keep in mind, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the act of sex as long as it is between two consenting people, as long as it is not trying to um, fulfill an addictive need. Even when you, when you are with someone in that way, the hormones that are released in the body, such as oxytocin and other things, uh, can help people be happier. It can help with things like depression. So having a healthy sexual relationship can be a good thing. But just like anything else, having a, a, having a walk in nature can be a good thing. But if you're always going to it to escape from your problems or to give yourself a little boost to feel better, to get through the day, then, it, then it's an issue. And once again, if we were able to find ways to be more meaningfully connected to others, then it's like that energy, you know, we can be described as a kundalini energy rising. Well, when it's down in the root chakras, of course, all you think about is sex and food and those things. But as you become more compassionate, more loving, more present, 
that doesn't have such a pull. You enjoy more, as I've said, spending quality time with, with others. Also, age has a, a role to play in this. When you're younger, you're going to be thinking about sex all the time for many people, not everyone. I've met quite a few people who uh, are, I, I, the term they use is asexual. They're just not interested in it. Why? Who knows? No big deal. It doesn't matter. We all have different paths in life. But when you're younger, oftentimes the uh, hormones are stronger, so you're just constantly thinking about it because there is that animal tendency to want to mate and to procreate. And when you're younger and you haven't developed the frontal regions of your brain, you go more by instinct rather than actual uh, conscious awareness. As you get older, it's perfectly natural for uh, those hormones to mellow out a little bit. And again, in our culture, in our society, we act like that's a bad thing, that you should be a 17-year-old teenager up into your, your 90s. Well, that's ridiculous. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with still enjoying sexuality as you get older, but as you become more mature and as you become more heart-centered, if it is not something that is constantly in your mind, that's just part of growing up. That's part of being in a physical body and the aging process, which is natural to all of us. So these are some ideas around sexuality. Um, being in a loving relationship is ideal. And if you aren't in a relationship, well, do what you need to do. But always keep in mind that the problem is not the urge. The problem is, is the urge a addictive tendency? Are you obsessed with it? Or is it just a natural response in the same way that you feel like you need to eat when you're hungry? Well, in some people, as hormones accumulate, as certain things accumulate in the body, there is just a natural need to do something about it. Um, but that's natural. It's when you're always thinking about it. And if you're always thinking about it, well, you need to talk to somebody. You need to figure out why you're always thinking about it. Because if you're addicted to that, you're probably addicted to a lot of other things too. And this is the difficulty with the yogic path is that um, many people come to it with these, these addictive tendencies. And they have these addictive tendencies because deep down inside, something's going on either a trauma they haven't looked at, resolved, or a conditioning they haven't faced, or some emotional, psychological uh, difficulty that they want to get beyond. They're thinking, well, if I do yoga, that's going to take care of it. Well, it'll help because the more you practice yoga and meditation, you will develop greater self-awareness. But those things have to be dealt with directly, not trying to meditate it away or yoga it away. And meditation can be a wonderful support in that process. Yoga can be a wonderful support in that process. And what you find is once you begin dealing with the things head on, and you might not be able to see them on your own because, again, denial and uh, the individual's capacity to not see clearly or to have blind spots for one's own uh, issues is intense. So that is why in the age, the Dwapara Yuga that we are in, this electric age we are in, this is why when the electric age came into being, that psychology, real psychology was born. And again, it was just beginning, so it has its limitations, but we're starting to recognize and realize the use 
of counseling, of resiliency training, of um, working through traumas, recognizing traumas. And I tell you this because myself and many other people that I have known who have been meditating for a long time, doing yoga for a long time, they report that once they, they stopped trying to use yoga and meditation to handle those things, and they actually started doing some techniques that was meant to deal with those things, that it was as if their meditation became easy, as if the practice of truthfulness and compassion and non-stealing and harmlessness became almost effortless because all the weird little psychological quirks were out of their way. And uh, I've read this from other yogis too. They would say that the, the path of yoga is really for one who has already worked out their mental, emotional, psychological baggage. Because the purpose of yoga and meditation is awakening, is being clearer, is being able to dive into what is the self? What is my relationship with spirit? And it's really hard to do that when you're contending with all these other um, psychological issues which are pulling your awareness this way or conditioning this way or blurring your ability to see clearly. So again, many very authentic yoga teachers have focused on that. It's good to get your life in order first. You can still do yoga and meditation while you are getting your life in order, but you want to be aware of what is the role of, of what you're doing. And the role of yoga and meditation is diving deep into your consciousness to figure out what you truly are. The role of exercise is to keep your body healthy and strong. The role of the arts and creativity is to help your mind and consciousness to be expansive. Uh, the role of working with a counselor or working with someone that you can uh, have your, your blind spots pointed out. Well, that, that helps. And it's all inclusive. Meaning when you are doing those things, you are still practicing Kriya Yoga. You are still doing what is supportive. You are still practicing Brahmacharya because all of those things are contributing to that ultimate goal of awakening. If you have issues with sexuality, well, it's okay. Most human beings in our current age do. Looking at it, working through it, trying to develop a healthy relationship with it is a wonderful thing. And it's going to help you out a lot. It's going to keep you out of a lot of trouble too. And sometimes you'll just get older and more mature and, and things will fall away because you become a little more mature and you can kind of see, <laughs> see the playing field a little more clearly. But if you're younger, like the individual who, who asked me this question, um, just this morning. Don't think you need to figure it all out right now. You just have to do your best with it. You need to contemplate what I've discussed. And you don't want to be an extremist about it. We, we, to, to adopt the viewpoint that, well, we don't understand it, so therefore we'll just cut it out. That's the idea of celibacy and spirituality. That's why we have all those uh, spiritual guides and prominent teachers who end up in some kind of sex scandal. That's why we have the problem with um, uh, priests in the Catholic Church, because it's as if we don't want to understand it, as Sri Yukteswar said, so therefore we just put it in a box. And then it turns into a little monster and busts out whenever it can and causes us problems. Uh, 
versus trying to understand what it's all about in the same way that we would understand our diet, the same way we would understand the proper way to exercise without going overboard, the same way we would understand healthy expression creatively, which doesn't which doesn't draw us away, which doesn't distract us. All these things can be approached in a way that are supportive of our spiritual life in this world. And as we got further down the line in the yugas, the great time cycles, you've heard me talk about the dark age in this discussion, the Kali Yuga, which uh, we've come out of. You've heard me talk about the Dwapara Yuga, the electric age which we are a few hundred years into. Well, there's also a silver age and a golden age, and those are closer to the ideas of enlightened living. Well, if we were living in the silver age or the golden age, these things would be easier for us because society would understand the right use of all of this, and we wouldn't have to repress or suppress or go to extremes. We're doing our best, and we have all incarnated, using the theory of reincarnation, at a time where we are given the opportunity to work on what we need to work on. So if we are here, and if these things are presented to us in our life to face, to make peace with, it's because we need we need to do that for our own development. You're not worse off than the Silver Age people or the Golden Age people. You're not better off than the Dark Age people. It's you have incarnated, using the theory of reincarnation, at a time that is most beneficial for you to have presented to you what you need to figure out. So if you can look at it that way, that should be helpful for you. And remember, the question always comes down to, does this support the clarity of my awareness? Does this support my spiritual aspirations? And you might have to work some things out in your head. I, I used to think that I couldn't play music because it got in the way of my spiritual aspirations because it was a distraction because I love music so much. But then in time, I realized how healing music can be in certain situations. I learned what it does, as I said, for the nervous system. And so while I still love music and I play music, it doesn't absorb my life, but I do spend time with it because it, it helps me. It helps to balance out the nervous system, helps to balance out the body, helps to balance out the mind, the capacity to have an expanded consciousness. So once I sit to meditate, I've trained myself to just let it go. And then all the benefits of that creativity are there in my meditation practice. But I'm not sitting there thinking about music or listening to music in my head. Everything has its place. Spending time in nature, gardening, walking in the woods, that all has its place being of service to others, if that is something that is part of your life path, that has its place. Sexuality, eating food, that has its place. Um, you know, yogis say uh, yoga is not for one who undereats or overeats. Yoga is not for one who sleeps too little or sleeps too much, and it goes on. The idea being that there's a, a sweet spot for all of these things, and sexuality is no different. So don't demonize it and don't turn it into some kind of weird thing that you're going to turn in, that you're going to have an extreme opinion about all the time now. You see, how can you take the middle way with it? How can you be more natural with it? How can you be, um, well, more natural with it's the best way to look at it. And then what you'll find is it doesn't get in the way of your, your meditation. 
of course, barring hormonal issues, you being a, a teenager or adults who uh, have their hormones kind of jacked up because of the foods that they eat or their choice of um, uh, stimulation entertainment, well, that can mess with it too. <laughs> so those are things we need to address, but they're hard things to address because many people don't want to address them because it's the only thing that really makes them feel good because they haven't faced head on what is, is causing that need or that desire. And this is the work of yoga. And this, again, is why so few people actually do the work of yoga. They're, they're doing better these days. But um, many times, yoga just becomes a, a Band-Aid that we keep putting on our wound to keep from bleeding all over everyone else rather than actually taking the time to heal or look at or resolve uh, what we think the practices are 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 doing or or... Um, the practices are, as I mentioned, are like a band-aid covering it up rather than actually looking at it and saying, well, this hurts. Well, let's go ahead and do something about it. So um, consider this when you think about the idea of sexuality and spirituality and um, also review that video on sexuality and spirituality on youtube.com slash yoga online. And the only final thing I would say is the more you work towards having a balanced life of enough exercise and enough rest, of enough creative expression and leisure time, along with disciplined meditation, yoga practice, and study, as you learn to cultivate, if it's part of your path, supportive, wholesome relationships, it's okay if you don't. Maybe you don't need that. Maybe it's not your thing. So just because everyone else talks about it doesn't mean that you have to think to yourself, there's something wrong with me because I don't have all these wholesome, supportive relationships that everyone talks about. But you'll have a few. Cultivating that, meaningful ways of interacting with others, meaningful ways of interacting with others, spending time with others, uh, lessening addiction to social media stimulation, lessening your addiction to any kind of media, really, spending more time... Uh, outside, appreciating nature, all these things, more than likely, if you start doing that, th that, that the issues around sexuality will tend to become less because you'll feel better about yourself. You, you won't have to have that weird loop that society has created for us with the addiction to sexuality. It'll actually break itself because you'll see just how lovely so much of life can be within reason. Okay, so we'll conclude there. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.